It's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Saturday Sports Talk, a big weekend in Champaign-Urbana with the University of Illinois graduation on tap today and festivities all through the weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Mr. Tate, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. Had fun at the uh, Hank Williams affair at the Rose Bowl last night. Oh, you were uh, going <laughs> back in time. Huh? <laughs> I did. I, I didn't last long, but I made it anyway. Phone lines are open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us along the way, here's uh, the lineup that we have scheduled for you today. There'll be time for your comments, too, if you'd like to uh, jump in. Coming up about uh, 9.15, we'll talk with Illini tennis coach Brad Dancer. His team in NCAA play this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Weather could be a factor in that. I, it really looks like it, doesn't it? We've got a match here coming up at 12 o'clock. And, and uh, yeah, well, they got great facilities indoors. If they have to move it in, they can. And they might have to. And then at 9.30, we'll go to Wrigley Field. They might have weather problems there, too, again. Uh, you see the game yesterday. It was Somebody said it was 50 degrees up there, and, and uh, the uh, Cubs beat the White Sox yesterday, but they'll play again today. The White Sox, Steve, have not reached double figures in wins yet this year. Here we are in the middle of May, and they haven't reached double figures, and they're the only team in the major leagues that hasn't. What's, how bad does it hurt a team that's rebuilding to go so low. Now, you can fall back on the Cubs or you can fall back on uh, other teams, uh, you know, that have had those kind of – that have built themselves that way. And uh, But I just I just wonder, uh, boy, this this got to hurt you, Steve. They don't, the fans, you know, you, you don't have the fans, therefore you don't have the money. That's true. It's got to be a long process. I can't imagine uh, having uh, my favorite team tank it like that and, uh, and have to live through it. But it's, The season's over for the White Sox. Oh, yes, it is. But some other teams have come out the other side, so maybe it uh, it can be done. Let's go to the phones here real quick, then I'll give you the rest of the uh, lineup for the show. Alan in Montrose. Hey, Alan. Well, we have a little issue with Alan. Alan, okay. Alan, are you with us? You there, Steve? I'm here. Go ahead. Yeah, I said uh, it seems like we've gone back in time with you coming back. <laughs> Going back in time, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's good a good thing or not, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what What else is on your mind? Well, I was going to talk a little baseball today. I was going to get into maybe with Lauren a little bit. Lauren, don't you guys think that Jed Jerko needs to play a lot Oh, more? yeah. And Steve and I were talking about that about 10 minutes ago. They just got to leave him in the lineup as long as he's hitting. Yeah. I mean, he's a good fielder, and they're not getting anything out of Carpenter either way, offense or defense. So, I mean, uh, Carpenter's had a couple. Base or second base. Well, you put him at two spots. Uh, he can do equally well. Whatever they want to match up, they want to do it. But you got to have him in there. He's batting almost five hundred. Well, you could put him at three spots. He could play third base, second base. That's they had him at saying. first base a little bit the other night. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, just for a couple well, innings. He didn't play the whole game there, but he was in there at part of the game. And Carpenter's hitting a buck fifty and. 
And it's not like he's a defensive stud because, he's, he, as Lauren mentioned, he doesn't give you much defensively. But uh, you'd like to think he'd get it going. But in the meantime, I agree with you. Well, yeah, they could also put him in second base and, and Wong in one of his slumps. And uh, I, thought, I don't know what you're going to do with Fowler. I, I really don't. Yeah, that's another problem. I mean, yeah. the the problems with Fowler and Carpenter are really pulling the team down. And, you well, know, I, I think that no player in baseball has been affected by the shift the way Carpenter has. He he hits yeah. shots between first and second that are just he, are outs, dead outs. And I know that his batting average probably lost 50 points last year just on that. Well, Lauren, he can't even bunt to the left side. You can work at that a little bit. Yeah. He can't even bunt it on that side. Well, I don't know any left-handed hitters that really are very good at that. It's just somehow they haven't been able to adapt to that, and that's what they have to do. But the one thing you got to realize is that when they shift on him, until he has two strikes, that third baseman is 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 kind of close to third. I mean, he's he's between short and third, and if you don't make a perfect bunt, they'll throw you out. He's not that fast running anyway. Well, he's going to have to do something. He's going to be out of lineup all the time for long. Where are the guys like – Tony Gwynn and Rod Carew and guys that could you you play okay you're gonna play me over there I'll just hit it over there yeah I mean, that's right you couldn't shift on those guys no but the shift that's is right glad you're back Steve thank you Alan appreciate the call Cardinals by the way playing uh, late last night out in San Diego won nine to five over the Padres home runs from Pham Bader DeYoung and Jerko earlier in the day the Cubs beat the White Sox eleven to two we're gonna talk more about that with David Schuster. Coming up at uh, about 9.30, he'll be at Wrigley Field getting set for the game today between those two teams. We'll talk about that crosstown rivalry and is it what it once was? I guess the answer is no right at the moment anyway. Then at 10 o'clock, we'll talk some uh, recruiting, basketball recruiting. Joe Henriksen from the City Suburban Hoops Report will join us. And then at 10.30, Martin O'Donnell, former Illini All-American and a member of our broadcast team for Illinois football on the radio, will stop by and visit with us. Illinois baseball last night, or yesterday afternoon, actually, a 10-3 win at Michigan. The Illini 12-7 on the season now, 28-16 overall. Brent Spillane, two home runs. Both to right field. And the fifth time this year he's had multi-home run games. He's got 20 on the season now. That's, yeah, he's having a fantastic year. This is going to mean some money for him. It's going to be, a, a, I think, a reasonably high draft pick, although I don't know the I'm not clear that it doesn't appear that he's going to go in the first round at this point, but I guess it all depends on on how they judge him in the final uh, final days of the season. Those two teams scheduled to go again. That was a big win to get that first win of that series because uh, Illinois was kind of going the opposite way at, uh, at the wrong time. Yeah, and they've got two more tough games coming up today and tomorrow, and and they you know they need to win the series. They need to clinch the position in the Big Ten tournament. They got the the big weekend series coming up with Nebraska next week, and we look forward to that. That'll be the final three games at home, and then they got to sweat out. And you know, then they got the Big Ten, and then they have to sweat out getting into the NCA. I, th- I heard they were the, among the first five out as of la- as two days ago. First five out. Right. Their RPI had dropped to 57. Yeah. If they win the series, certainly that would help that a little bit. Let's uh, uh, give you some other. By the way, they're scheduled to play at 1 o'clock today. We'll keep an eye on the weather on that. Could be a factor up in uh, Michigan as well. The weather was a factor in Madison where the uh, Big Ten softball tournament is going on. They had about a six-hour delay 
total yesterday. And by the time Illinois got to play, they had seen a little bit of everything with uh, the weather, and they brought in a helicopter. They had a, what they were calling a chopper delay. Isn't that something? Brought a helicopter in to try to dry out the outfield. And when they did finally play, Indiana wins on a walk-off homer 2-1 to one over the Illini. Illinois now 38-17, and 17, and they're on the bubble for the I, I NCAA. I think they're probably on the outside of the bubble, and that will be decided, I believe, around 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Sunday night, Steve, do, that's when the NCAA selections will be made. And, uh, boy, I, I hope they make it, but it doesn't look like it to me. Some uh, other notes on this uh, Saturday morning. Again, the phone lines are open if you'd like to jump in, 356-9397. One other baseball note, uh, Parkland's baseball team rolls on. They're 41-12 and 12 after a doubleheader win yesterday. They'll play a couple of more games today. 23rd straight tournament appearance upcoming today for the uh, Fighting Illini tennis team. We'll talk to Brad Dancer about that. Scheduled to play Marquette at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Vanderbilt and Drake in uh, the other regional match, as you mentioned, that's supposed to get underway at noon. Yep. Well, one thing about it is they'll definitely play, indoors or outdoors. The Illini women, nice win yesterday afternoon in uh, Lubbock, Texas on the uh, tennis court. Evan Clark's team beat Princeton 4-3 to to go to 22-5 and on the season. Had to come from behind to do that. It was a thriller, yeah. They were behind. Of course, they lost the doubles point, which always puts you behind the eight ball. And then they lost a couple early singles matches. So that, that score was 3-1 to at one time. And then it was 3-3. Three to three, And uh, Novak, who uh, was 1-1, to 3-3 to three in her match, and finally won at 6-4. to four. Big win for the Illini. Big comeback. Ten minutes after nine, you watch any uh, golf yesterday, the Players' Championship. Steve Stricker hanging tough. He is tied for eighth after rounds of 67 and 69. He had five birdies, a couple bogeys yesterday. Webb Simpson has the lead at minus 15. Did you see him hit the ball in the, in the water on number 17? He was on pace to shoot 59. I know. <laughs> I mean, he was having a sensational round, and then the ball hit the wooden barrier uh, on the edge of the water and bounced way up in the air and, and went across the green and into the water. Uh, too bad. Uh, he was, uh, he was like you say, he was, it would have been a miracle round. He, he had, I looked it up, he had nine birdies in 12 holes. Starting on the front nine, he, he went birdie, bogey, birdie, bogey, and then he ran a string of birdies, and uh, finally uh, he went from birdie to double bogey on the 17th. Let's uh, go to the phones here real quick. Motor, are you with us? Yes, I are. How are you doing? You guys are doing a great job, and I want to congratulate you. You do a great job all the time. Hey, Motor, good to hear from you. Where you been? Oh, I've been sick there for a while, about a month. Wow. And I'm still recovering, but I'm making it. We got a big string dance uh, over at the America, uh, BFW and Rantoul. The Country Hearts Band's going to be playing. When's that? Today. The Country Hearts Band over at the VFW and Rantoul from 12 noon to 7 p.m. They're going to have some raffles on prizes and that. The American Legion Riders are going to be there. Car Show is going to be up there in Rantoul, Illinois. And don't miss it. It's a beautiful a beautiful day. All right, Bob. Now, Motor, you're going to be pretty tired dancing for seven hours, aren't you? Well, I'm going to be sitting down like my big fat panty, 10 more. <laughs> Uh, you all guys right. have a great time. You outstanding. I ain't lying. Thanks, Thank Motor. You. Hey, Motor, we Thank appreciate you. the call. 12 we minutes after 9 call. o'clock, we'll take our uh, first break here on Saturday Sports Talk, and we'll be back with a lot more. The phone line will be open until 11. 
Join us here on Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Back with more after this. Hi, it's Dave Gentry. Join us for new sports weather, agribusiness, and more, and the return of Dave Lone. That's Monday on DWS. Welcome back, everybody. Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open here. If you'd like to join us, 356-9397. Some uh, NCAA tennis in town this weekend, scheduled for uh, this afternoon. Getting it going. There's a match at noon, and then Brad Dancer's team plays at 3 o'clock. Brad Dancer joins us on the phone, the Illini men's tennis coach. Good morning, Brad. I guess you've probably got your eye on the weather a little bit, don't you? I mean, this is crazy, huh? It's like you have every five, I look five minutes, and I look five minutes later, and it's changed 10 degrees in forecast. So I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of uh, have everything ready to go for this afternoon. Well, talk a little bit about the. Well, first of all, I, I want to mention the. Uh, we did mention it before the break, but a nice win last night for the uh, women's team over Princeton down in Texas. You know, it was it was awesome. We were, we were all kind of wrapping up practice when it was when it when their match was uh, finishing up, and uh, Danny's had had some really tough matches over the last few years. I just I turned to our guys said, "You watch, she's going to win this sport, and it's going to really." catapult uh, their team and her career, and, and she, she toughed it out and won six, four, and a third. So that was a great win for them. Well, talk a little bit about Marquette. What do you know about them? Yeah, they got a they got a good team, you know. And and it's funny, I just was you know you kind of see them come in and watch them practice. They got some big big guys, big hitters. Uh, you know, so they got they got some guys that uh, can really bring the heat a little bit. So I, I think one of the things for us is you know they're going to be obviously. Excited to play. I think this is the first NCAA tournament, maybe four years or so, and so we'll uh, we're going to have to withstand sort of their initial onslaught, and then uh, I think if we can settle in and and do our thing, then we'll be in good shape. But uh, it'll be a good little challenge for our guys today. Well, Brad, as you saw with the women, uh, they got behind in that doubles, and it made it tough to come back, and they did it. What's your double? Have you settled on your doubles lineup? And and uh, w- go ahead on that. You're you're not gonna believe this one. Well, you will, because you know how how dumb I get sometimes. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna play the freshman at number one doubles, and we're gonna play uh, Vukic and Budic at number three doubles. And uh, we have we have to talk this morning with coaches about what we're gonna do at number two doubles. We we submitted uh, Hiltzik and Kovacevic, and we think they can be an unbelievable team. But uh, they haven't really been proving it in practice this week. So we're we're trying to see if Clark goes in there or with one of those guys, or we or we leave those. You know, I, I I told I had him watch uh, the major league scene of, of uh, Charlie Sheen. I said, "You guys are my wild thing team. I don't know what's coming out of you guys. It could be really good, or it could be <laughs> hitting the bleachers. But uh, we may put them out there and see what they can do." How good is uh, Marquette with the double? You say they got big guys. Do they have strong serves? Yeah, they got strong serves, big hitters, and and so I think you know that part will be. I think our guys will. You know, you, you always try to prepare the best you can, but it'll be a little bit of shock to the system because. You just don't, you know. It's again, it's a weekend off, and we haven't played, and so, and then you get out there and play. But it, it'd be a good challenge. But I think we'll be ready to respond to it too. Is the team uh, fully healthy? Vuki's all the way back from his uh, ankle problems. Outside of fitness, yes. You know, I don't think he's 100 percent there, <clears throat> just conditioning wise, because uh, he hasn't run in probably two months. Uh, you know, in terms of our normal fitness routine, but uh, every, you know, health wise, good. Cutting wise, good. I uh, just got to get him kind of up to speed conditioning wise. And, and once, you know, and he's, getting, he's getting there and that. And sometimes the best way to do that is just to play matches. So this weekend, hopefully, be a good, good, uh, good chance for him to, to keep getting closer to full 100%. Scott Ritchie uh, wrote a great column about uh, Vukic today, and he's had a tremendous career. I, 
really, when you stack up his four years, I mean, how many players have ever had four years like he had? Because we had some great players who didn't play four. Yeah, the, the tricky thing with him is, you know, he's, he's played so much professional tennis during his college time that, you know, I think he's 10th or something I saw on, on the all-time wins list. I mean, he's, he's set out dual matches. He hasn't played a, a collegiate fall event in three years, and that's where most of these guys rack up, you know, maybe 15, 20 wins a season. So he, he could be 40, 50 wins higher probably and just, you know, blow the all-time record out the mark. But I think that's something that he hasn't – you know, it hasn't been about him and his ego or All-Americans. It's been sort of just about the overall development with his tennis and where he wants to go. So it's it's been impressive. Again, this year, you know, the, the stats are not as gaudy this year for him. But, uh, you know, his impact, he was voted, uh, you know, most valuable player by his teammates. And I think everybody feels like he's, he's got that continuing impact where he's, he's no question he's one of our big leaders uh, up at the top of the lineup. Talking with Illini tennis coach Brad Dancer, NCAA action this afternoon at Adkins, that first match has Vanderbilt against Drake, followed by Illinois and Marquette. You mentioned having the team healthy. Um, is there a, a common injury to tennis? What's what's the biggest problem? Is there a particular, is it tennis elbow, is it a wrist, an ankle, or uh, how does that really work? You know, you think of football with knee injuries and shoulder injuries. Is there something that kind of common for tennis? Yeah, I think the number one is probably shoulders. You know, we're serving so much, um, you know, and guys and just taking care of their shoulders and making sure that those are okay. And so those get fatigued, and, and sometimes you get dead arm going along with that. And then you've got all your lower body, you know, issues. So guys get hip pointers. They get little issues going on their hips, their knees, their ankles. So those those are probably the main things. Um, and obviously to, you know, to kind of prevent that, we've got to do a lot of core work, and that helps in all those areas. But uh, some of them are just unavoidable. You get a sprained ankle here or there, or, um, you know, TCU lost a guy to a torn meniscus in his, in his knee last week. So you have to freak, freak accents a little bit, but for the most part, uh, hips and knees and ankles and shoulders are probably the, the biggest areas. I'm recovering from a shoulder a problem myself, and watching yep. guys play tennis makes me hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Brad, talk a little bit about Brown, your freshman lefty. Where, how has he progressed from the beginning of the season? Now he's had a full season as a freshman, and he's an intriguing player. It seems to me. Where, where, where is he headed? He's he's headed to really lofty places. We, we're, we've got him at two for the NCAA tournament, so he's going to really? be the number two spot. Yep, number two spot. I think uh, you know one of the things we feel with him. Uh, I felt this even the recruiting process. He's not scared of anybody, and I knew we could play him at the top of the lineup and. And he could be competitive with anybody. Uh, he's got a great serve. You know, he's, he's, he's very cerebral. He understands the game incredibly well. So there's not much that rattles him. And I think that's probably his best skill. And then this year, he's done a great job of improving the rest of his skill set. His forehand's improved tremendously. His movement's improved tremendously. So he's defending better now. He's attacking better out of the forehand corner now. He's just a way more versatile player than he was, you know, nine, ten months ago. So it's been exciting to watch his progress. But he, you know, he competes with a with a sort of a season well beyond his years. He, he looks like a senior or a season season pro out there, and that's one of my favorite aspects about AB. Yeah, Fred? he he looks like he's definitely settled uh, headed for number one next year as a sophomore, isn't he? He's he's definitely got a shot. I mean, at the same time, we got some other guys on big win streaks. I think how they're on that prize as well. So it should be some. Fun competition, I think, for the top of the lineup next year. What did the uh, last look at the weather tell you? You know, I, I'm not joking, Steve. You know, it, it looked pretty good and, and somewhere around, uh, you know, mid-70s. And then as soon as I looked, I walked outside and I had a 
20 mile an hour gust of wind blow them, blow on my back patio post over and then it was just gone so <laughs> i don't know what's going to happen but i think i think it's going to be outside and maybe a little bit cooler than what we expected i think we were thinking in the 80s when we looked at it yesterday but maybe now into the 70s it'll be a nice nice day for tennis no doubt well good luck to you this afternoon we appreciate it thanks guys thanks for having me on you bet thanks, brad, brad brad dancer with us his team taking on marquette three o'clock this afternoon at adkins in the NCAA, a couple of wins uh, moves them into the NCAA championships. Twenty-third straight year they're in postseason. Yeah, they, they you know, it's, they've had tremendous teams that had that long winning streak, uh, you know, two decades ago, and then all of a sudden Ohio State's come up, and and Ohio State's knocked Illinois out year after year after year. Not knocking out of the NCAA tournament because you don't always run into them, right? But, but uh, certainly uh, Ohio State has been the dominant force in the Big Ten, and Illinois has been number two. Uh, basically under Brad most of these years. do have the phone lines open here for a few minutes. If you'd like to jump in, 356-9397 is the number. We're going to talk some more Major League Baseball coming up at the bottom of the hour when David Schuster joins us from uh, Chicago. He'll be at Wrigley Field getting set for Game 2 of that uh, Crosstown Series, Cubs and the White Sox. Cubs winning yesterday 11-2. Wilson Contreras, a couple of home runs. He had a grand slam and a solo shot. Chris Bryant also had a home run in that ballgame. Cardinals beat the Padres last night 9-5. to Illinois baseball wins 10-3 to at Michigan. They're scheduled to play again this afternoon, again, weather permitting. But that, uh, that was a nice win to get things going on. Uh, NBA playoffs off for another day. Then uh, we'll get started with uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. Cleveland at Boston tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be really interesting, isn't it? It really is. I think I they mean, both Boston, will be. Boston keeps overachieving, but I think it's fair to say that Cleveland has overachieved too. How did Brad Stevens not get one vote <laughs> for NBA coach, coach of the Year? Wait a minute. Why didn't he get – well, of course, the answer to that is that's uh, uh, based on the regular season and not the playoffs. Right. And Toronto uh, – uh, won the Eastern Division and the coach got fired because <laughs> he didn't win in the playoffs. So I, I don't know. I, But Brad Stevens, he's amazed me all the way back to to, uh, to what they pulled off uh, at Butler. I mean, to, to, to get the second, to get, be runner-up in the NCAA twice at Butler, I mean, how good is that? I mean, we, Illinois can't even get in the tournament. And they're, and they're finishing second. And they're consistent – I, it almost seems to me they overachieve every year. It's a, a little like Gonzaga, except that they're playing a lot better competition than Gonzaga. Well, Brad Underwood and his staff still out uh, beating the bushes, trying to, to get that recruiting uh, machine rolling or keep it rolling. They've got uh, a pretty good-looking class coming in, but uh, no update really on Francis Okoro from uh, Normal. He's uh, apparently down to uh, three schools, but uh, it sounds that he likes himself. He likes Oregon quite a bit. Yeah, uh, and usually the the decision is made by the player, and, and he wants to go to Oregon right now, and, and I don't know if that will change or not. That's a long way for him to go, and and there seems to be some resistance within the family as to, you know, they I think that they'd, they'd prefer that he stays uh, closer to home, but uh, at this point, uh, it doesn't look good. A couple of other notes here before we uh, take a break here in a minute or so. Uh, a friend of yours passed away earlier this week. Tom Fletcher, you bet. at the age of 75, yep. Darren Fletcher's dad, Casey's yep. grandfather. Yeah, played against him. You know, he was terrific. He was all Big Ten. Uh, he was a star player of the Big Ten in 1962. And was a, you know, I remember him even before as a pitcher over at Royal uh, when we used to play over there. And, and um, he was a left-hander, and he could really bring it. 
And he had the worst luck his rookie year. He, he got up with Detroit, the Detroit Tigers, and I think the story is correct that he got on a, a plane and had some kind of a blood clot in his, in his arm, I believe, and it really ruined his uh, professional career. He, he played after that, but uh, he never uh, is never the same. Never got back to the majors. Darren, um, you know, in another day, we can talk to Darren about it when this, yeah. you know, in a week or two and, and find out what really happened on that with his arm and, and his injury. But he was such a spectacular player for the University of Illinois, a pitcher, and um, something happened and, and just kind of ruined his career. And, you know, the arm is such a delicate thing when you're – Throwing the baseball, <laughs> you can you can injure the arm pretty easy. And when you're throwing it hard as these guys, you're seeing injuries all the time. And guys going on the DL all the time. And it's just uh, when you throw that hard, it's it puts a real strain on it. It's not like softball. Softball pitchers can pitch forever, but yeah. baseball pitchers are are really delicate. And I think Steve, that's what changed the game so much is all the managers realize they've got to get their guy out of there in the fifth or sixth inning. They don't want him to hurt him. They want him to be ready for the next game. And so you, what you're seeing, even last night, the Cardinals are leading, uh, had a nice lead, and, and Weaver's pitching well and pitched five innings to shut out ball, and they took him out. Yep. <laughs> Bingo. And they pitched four different pitchers the last four innings. That's the way the game has turned. Did you see, and I didn't read all of this, but a former major league pitcher, pretty good pitcher, pitched a little bit for the Cardinals, Jim Cott, yeah. had an idea about how to fix baseball. What is it? Play seven inning games. Well, <laughs> that's another thought. You know what? It'll never happen, I don't think, but interesting to think about. I will tell you, as a big a baseball fan as I am, I watch any time a game gets to the eighth inning, I look in, and any time they, they flash into the stands, you know that half the people are gone. Cardinals will have 40,000 people at a game, but when it gets to be the eighth inning, it doesn't matter whether it's a close game or a lopsided, doesn't make it, the, the score doesn't matter. People leave. Yeah. When it gets toward, uh, you know, Mabel, we got to be home by 10 <laughs> o'clock, right? And, and, you know, we got a little drive here. And, and so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't think they'll go to seven innings, but it would make perfect sense in terms of the, the games have gotten so long and we just keep overlooking the fact that we have extra inning games and nobody's there. Go to seven innings and knock it's, about uh, 10 games off the, the total schedule and you might have something. It's the only sport that you can name that people aren't on the edge of their seats at the end of the game in a close game. They're not on the edge of their seats. They're leaving their seats. Well, look at a game on TV and look at the people that when they have the shot from center field, look at the people sitting behind the plate and, and look at how many people are doing other things. <laughs> well, it's a slow game. They're, they're eating and, a burrito or looking at their phone or well, reading you, you a book. Know, you, you can't put a – it wouldn't be appropriate to put a, a timing on, on, on the pitcher, you know, a, 20, right. a 15 or 20-second time clock on the pitcher. But you have a, a, a time clock in basketball where you have to shoot within X, X number of seconds and, and 24 seconds in the NBA. You have football. You, if you don't put the ball in play in a certain number of seconds, it's a penalty. I mean, every sport requires some speed up. They're not baseball. They just kind of just plod along. It is 9.30. We're plodding along till 11. If you'd like to join us, we'll take a time out. Talk some more baseball coming up in just a moment. Stay with us. Join us this afternoon at 1 o'clock for Fighting Illini Baseball on the road at Michigan. Dave Lone has the play-by-play today at 1 o'clock. Moving up on 9.34, Saturday Sports Talk, Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate. Illinois won the opening game of that series last night in Ann Arbor by a score of 10-3. to 
Other uh, baseball news, the Cubs and the White Sox going at it again today at Wrigley Field with the Cubs winning 11-2 yesterday. Let's talk more about that. Our friend David Schuster from 670 The Score in Chicago is with us from Wrigley Field. Good morning, David. Well, good morning to both you gentlemen, and hopefully uh, they'll play today's game. The weather not exactly conducive for this time of the year. There's some rain in the area, so hopefully they start this game on time and play it quickly. What was the weather yesterday? It looked awful cold. It was awfully cold. I mean, you know, listen, the old adage in Chicago is 100% correct. If you don't like the weather, stick around 15 minutes later. It likely will change. It was gorgeous here the last few days before yesterday, and then all of a sudden, uh, November and December seem to reappear here in Chicago, but didn't seem to bother Wilson Contreras, who had a career game yesterday, two home runs, seven RBIs. The bobblehead that they handed out for him yesterday, I can't tell you what it's going for on eBay right now because it escalated every time he got a hit and drove in a run yesterday. <laughs> What's the uh, status of this rivalry right now, the Crosstown rivalry? you got teams kind of going in different directions. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely lost its luster. Maybe somewhere again down the road when both teams are playing well. Um, let's face it, right now these two teams are on different planes. The Cubs, you know, are going to be there all season long and, and likely will challenge for the whole enchilada yet again. And, and the White Sox are obviously in the midst of their rebuilding, and it's been even worse than most fans expected for them already this season. They still have not even reached double digits in victories for the year. So right now the White Sox, there's no other way of putting it. They're a bad baseball team. The Cubs are a uh, obviously a playoff contender and so because of that, they're really the rivalry. The White Sox fans really have nothing to say right now. And when only one fan base has got something to say, that takes away from a rivalry. Well, David, this is Lauren. Uh, what's the status of the Cubs right now in terms of their lineup? It looks to me pretty solid all the way around. And yet I keep hearing rumors of maybe uh, Schwarber, Russell, you know, there might be a trade some way. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, as far as the lineup on a daily basis, you know, Joe Madden is all over the place. He's like a bobblehead. Uh, so he changes his lineup. You know, even today it's changed. You've got Javier Baez leading off. So that's different in itself. Um, you know, obviously the rumors about uh, Machado, you know, Baltimore is going to trade him to somebody. And they're, they're going to get some good offers, even though at least for some teams he'll be a rental just for the remainder of the season. I don't really buy into those rumors for him coming to the Cubs. Um, the Cubs would have to give up a lot. And honestly, Lauren, they would have to get some kind of commitment, maybe mm -hmm. through backdoor channels or something, for him to be here for a long time. In fact, anybody who trades for him would be a fool not to get some kind of you know, behind-the-scenes commitment from him or his agent, and we all know who his agent is, yep. for him to stay there for a long, long time. So right now, uh, rumors are a dime a dozen, and I'm not really putting any credence into them. Well, as you say, it sure sounds like Baltimore is going to have to trade him because otherwise they're going to lose him when the year's over, right? They're going to lose him, um, and, and they're god-awful also. In fact, they, the Cincinnati and, and the Cubs are challenging, or excuse me, and the White Sox, rather, are challenging for the worst record in Major League Baseball right now. So there's no question he's going to be dealt and dealt before the trading deadline because you're right, Lauren, they're going to have to get something for him because he's not going back to that team. Where would the Cubs want to play him? What position? I mean, would, would, would you see him playing shortstop? I mean, obviously, if Russell's in the deal, or would they throw Baez over there? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I've always thought personally that Javier Baez is a better defensive shortstop 
than um, than uh, uh, Addison Russell. But for whatever reasons, the uh, the Cubs have never made that change. And let's face it, they did win a World Series with Russell at shortstop. You know, obviously, if Russell is 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 part of any kind of deal, should it ever happen, then you would think that. You know, where else can Machado play? He's not going to play second base. Third base is manned by a former MVP who's still getting better and better all the time, and that's Chris Bryant. So if, and I say a big if, he's ever dealt to the Cubs, I guess the only position he could play is shortstop. What about Darvish? What's your take on Darvish at this point? Oh, boy. He's, he's uh, you know, it's funny because yesterday they moved him back. He was he's scheduled to come off the DL on Monday upcoming and yet they, you know, and he was penciled in for Monday's game, and then they decided yesterday, you know what, we'll just hold him off until Tuesday's game. And that was a bad signal to a lot of people because Tuesday's game is on the road, Monday's game is here, and they just don't want him being booed here in case he has another bad outing <laughs> here at Wrigley Field. And they're so worried about his psyche, and that's really where the problem apparently is, at least right now with this guy. I mean, he's got great stuff. Even in his last outing, he struck out nine and in only five innings of work, but he seems to break down mentally or emotionally at different times of games. And that's not a good sign for somebody who you're giving $126 million to over the next six years. So he still has good stuff. He still has good velocity. But again, at different times and different games, he breaks down from different circumstances. Talking Cubs baseball, David Schuster, 670 the score in Chicago. He's at Wrigley Field getting set for that afternoon ball game against the White Sox. Is Jason Hayward ever going to hit for the Cubs? Good question. I don't know if there's even a good answer. I mean, certainly they're hoping to. (laughs) They're on the hook for a lot of money with him as well. Um, Right now he's in concussion protocol. He hit his head on that home run by Dexter Fowler that won last Sunday night's game. He hit his head on the wall, so he's not eligible to come off. We can't even talk to him when when a player's in concussion protocol. We're not even allowed to talk to them. But, you know, beyond that, you know, is he ever going to hit? I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, he hasn't really hit the way he hit in the past. I mean, he was a better hitter in St. Louis. He was obviously a better hitter in Atlanta. He was, you know, part of a World Series winner here a couple of years ago. But, you know, the fans are still, you know, ragging him all over the place because he just hasn't hit. And he consistently, you know, makes a lot of ground outs and strikes out in certain situations. So, you know, it's a great question. I just don't have a good answer to it. What's your biggest concern uh, for the Cubs at this point? About a, what, a third of the way through the season? Maybe not that quite that far, but uh, what uh, what's the biggest area there? Well, you know, if you're going to be a winner and you're going to be a winner at the highest level, you have to get consistent starting pitching, and that's basically one through five. They haven't gotten it yet. I mean, Darvish is, is, is a case in point. John Lester has been fairly decent. Kyle Hendricks has gotten better recently. Um, Tyler Chatwood, uh, he's got great stuff, but he leads the major leagues and walks by a starting pitcher. Uh, and then there's Jose Quintana, who's been up and down himself. So if the Cubs are going to be a consistent uh, winner the rest of the season, they got to get their um, – starting pitching going. I think their bullpen has been pretty good, and Brandon Morrow at the back end of the bullpen has been really good so far. Their hitting has been up and down, you know, after going, what was it, eight straight games by scoring three runs or less. Now in the last four games, they've scored 42 total runs. So overall, they're going to hit. There's just too many guys in this lineup that will hit. The pitching, though, will always, not only with the Cubs, but with everybody else, will remain a question mark. And right now, I think that's their number one spot. You know, the, the Cub-Cardinal uh, rivalry is such that I kind of 
watch that all the time and, and compare them all the time, and yet the Brewers just kind of keep winning games, and they won another one-runner last night, and I just wonder, am I, am I overlooking the Brewers again? Not at all, Lawrence. Be honest with you, I think this division has been better than expected to this juncture. I haven't looked at the standings today, but I think, you know, with Pittsburgh, I think there's four teams that are 500 or better in the division. Cincinnati, of course, is awful. So, you know, the division is better than expected. If Milwaukee gets any pitching, and God knows they they might pick up somebody at the trading deadline or even before that, I think they're going to be around all season. They certainly greatly improved last year. St. Louis is better this year. The name of the game is always going to be pitching. Whichever team gets the pitching is always going to be in it. That's why I said the number one thing to watch for, for with the Cubs, of course, is their starting pitching. Yeah, St. Louis has a half-game lead. The Pirates are a game back. The Cubs a game and a half back. So a four-team uh, race there within a game and a half of each other. And if that stands up, that'll be fun in the months ahead, won't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, better to be covered. I hate to say it because I'm a White Sox fan. I've always <laughs> been a White Sox fan. But, you know, when you're this far out already and, and nothing to look forward to other than the June amateur draft for the next two years and then some of the players further down the road as they go up through the far, uh, through the farm system, you know, it's just it's tough to watch a ball club for seven months when they're not really a contending team. You know, you've got too many teams in Chicago between the Bulls and the Bears and the White Sox. Or it's more important to lose games during the season so you get better drafts. <laughs> well, and – it's funny that you say that, Lauren, because that's the way it's been for almost every one of the teams here in Chicago, minus the Cubs. I mean, the Bears were god-awful last year with three wins. They had a good draft. Maybe they're finally on the rebound. The Bulls, of course, you heard the word tank more often than, than anything else in regards to them. So they're going to have a high draft pick in the first, uh, first round upcoming. I mean, the White Sox have been god-awful. And the Blackhawks are going to have a high draft pick after not making the playoffs for the first time in 10-plus years. So... Yeah, other than the Cubs, it's basically the word in Chicago is rebuild, and that's not exactly fun to cover teams like that. David, we'll let you get back to work. Appreciate your time. Maybe we'll do it again in uh, two or three weeks or so, if that's okay. Anytime, guys. Love to be with both of you. Thank you. David Schuster, 670 The Score in Chicago with us. And our phone lines are open, 356-9397. Chris has been hanging on for a little while. Chris, you're on the air on Sports Talk. Go ahead. Good morning, Steve and Lauren. I really like your show. Thank you. It is very difficult to be a diehard White Sox fan in central Illinois. Isn't it? <laughs> even, <laughs> even in good times it is, right? Well, we surprised them in 2005. Right. <laughs> nobody, but it's kind of we're going under the radar. We've got a, a lot of cavalry coming, supposedly. They're cooking down on the farm, so yeah. we just got to hang in there. But it's, uh, it's hard. I, I took my boy down last Tuesday to St. Louis, so we represented the Sox, and they had that game won, and we have no bullpen so sure enough eighth inning come around and i told my boy i got a two and a half hour drive i'm tired let's get <laughs> as soon as i got to the car they blew the game by what <laughs> now you left in after the seventh inning what do you think of the idea of playing seven inning baseball uh i'm not big on messing with anything the way it should be i'm old school lauren okay i am too i don't i, I don't think it has a chance one chance in a, in a million you know, it's the game's changed. There's no way around it. There's just they're using too many pitchers, um, and and the and the younger generation. It's hard for them to. My boy's 20, and and you know I, it's hard for him to stay with the game, but uh, I I just hope they don't change it in that respect. 
Well, I think we're losing the, the younger crowd. I think we are. I get the feeling that, and, and I think baseball is, uh, is just steeped in tradition, and, and I think that uh, they just they haven't made any dramatic changes at all. They make a, a tweak here, or they threaten to make a tweak there, and they talk about uh, timing the pitchers and all that kind of stuff, but you talk about you, you, know, you have to stay in the box, and yet none of these things are, is really happening. It, it, the game is just the same as it was, as far as I can see. Yep. I was just going to say that, you know, the White Sox has some some guys that are coming that I, I am excited about. Um, they they lost a very good third baseman prospect in Jake Berger. Uh, he retore his Achilles again, so I don't know if he's going to make it back. That That's tough. Uh, and the, the Zach Collins kid, real good catcher prospect. He's just not developing as fast down in double A. But, boy, we got some pitching coming. It'll be fun to watch. Chris, appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You bet. We'll keep the phone lines open, 356-9397, here on Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a timeout and be back with more after this. Stay with us. Nine fifty on Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock on this Saturday. Graduation weekend, Mother's Day weekend as well. 115 Illini athletes, huh? athletes will graduate uh, this year. They had 15 graduated in December, 90 scheduled to go here you in know, May. When, when you bring this up, the first thing I think about is all this talk about paying the athletes, and yet you've got 115 graduates whose main concern in coming to, uh, these are athletes, whose main concern in coming to the University of Illinois is getting a degree and, and, and finding a job and, and going on with their lives, and, and we're trying to create rules and change change rules to take care of a, a much smaller number of people but i guess if if you're not interested in school you shouldn't go to school right right <laughs> maybe maybe i i wrote something for uh, tomorrow's paper about the the and, and this is getting back to basketball of course about the uh, the g league which is now the gatorade league it used to be the d league but is now the g league because <laughs> gatorade is sponsoring right. it but uh they've gone up to thirty five thousand dollars in income for the five-month season from 26. That's a jump of 9,000. And, of course, some of these players will have contracts if they – some of these players are coming down from the, from the NBA, which means they've got contracts that are even better than that. So there is going to be um, a chance to make a decent living. I mean, uh, 35,000 isn't all the money in the world, but it's, it, when you're 20 years old or 21 or 22, 23, that's, a, that's enough. You can get, and that's only five months, and you got the rest of the time to do whatever you want to do. And and so I just, I, I just, um, there's so much criticism of the amateur system because it's obvious that the players who make them, who are drawing the crowds, are not making the, the money that they should. Probably, I mean, star basketball players probably deserve more money. I mean, there's a reason why Illinois has a, a fifty million dollars coming in next year from from TV. And that's because the players are drawing, the, uh, are attracting crowds and drawing, drawing the money. Not a whole lot came out from that uh, Condoleezza Rice commission. No, did but it? no, but they're working at it. Yeah. At least they're, they're you know, You're right. There, there's no. And by the way, they're not touching that that transfer idea. They, they're going to put a. The idea was to put either a three point or a three point three grade point requirement on the transfers. Uh, and or uh, let's say you're a sophomore and you want to transfer, you got a 3.3, you can transfer and be eligible immediately. 
in basketball or football. Here's the problem. There's a racial factor. They've determined that it would be unfair to the black athletes because fewer of them have 3.3 grade point averages. Then they figure it out statistically. They know what the numbers are and what they've, what, what's happened is that the people that were pushing that rule are just backing away from it completely because they know that if they pass it and they, and they, and they, and they put the 3.3 requirement in there, the, G, the GPA, that many more white athletes would be able to transfer and play immediately than black athletes. And therefore, what you're going to see is just completely avoid it. Speaking of transfers, has this year been, uh, has the number been mm. what we thought it would be? Is it? I don't know yet. I don't, I, I don't think it's, you know, school is just now ending. Right. <laughs> and we'll find out how many actually transfer. But there was talk, Steve, there was talk it might be approaching 1,000. A thousand basketball players. Well, I remember not that many years ago. We were we were marveling at the fact that it was five hundred, and yeah, then it went to seven fifty. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, now we're talking a thousand, maybe. I and and just think there are three hundred and fifty one schools, so that's three a team. <laughs> well, three players transfer. Uh, now that can't be, can it? Surely not. We saw it happen here. Yeah, well, Illinois is way ahead in that. <laughs> but my goodness, that's that's an incredible number. And then the other thing that's, that's happening right now is we sit here and wait. Practically every school in the Big Ten has got, practically every school in the Big Ten has got somebody in the draft right now who may pull out. You know, Wisconsin sweating out half, and, and uh, Palmer and Copeland are, you know, may come back to Nebraska. How, how much better basketball team will Nebraska be with those two players? Or how bad will they be without them? And you go up and down the line. I mean, Charles Matthews, you know, from Michigan, he's a good player, and he'd make a difference at Michigan. But now he's right now he's wavering in the draft. It's uh, up and down the line. It's happening. You got two players at Iowa, Moss and Cook. Cook's a good player. He'll make a difference, and he'll be a better player next year. But is he coming back? He he's indicated he doesn't want to, but he may have to. Speaking of Nebraska. Tim Miles recently with a contract extension, Penn State. Mm-hmm. Pat Chambers recently with a contract. Sticking ex- with those guys, aren't they? It is, and neither one of those teams made the NCAA tournament. Of course, Nobody, Penn State won the NIT. They were, yeah, they are better though. They, I mean, the league is right is so far down that not many teams made the the NCAA this year. But I think that Penn State's uh, was a worthy team this last year. They just lost some tough games. They had an injury late to their big guy that hurt them. And, you know, I don't know about Nebraska. I, I don't know what to think of them. But um, he, he just you – know, everybody's bringing in tra- – you, you don't know how good anybody's going to be until the season rolls around because so many transfers coming in. That's a good point. And uh, Penn State loses Tony Carr to, to the NBA. He was yeah. their best player. And oh, yeah. you don't know, as you mentioned, uh, some of the guys that maybe put their name in but did not sign with an agent. So they may be back. But it's hard to – Hard to predict a lineup or uh, how you think the standings might go. I think what you're going to see is that the, the, the uh, preseason prognostications are going to burst out around June 1st after the May 30 date when you have to pull your name in or let it, you know, you, you don't know who's going to be on the team until May 30th. And then, you, then you're not sure because <laughs> guys, guys that, that doesn't include all the transfers. What we're talking about here on May 30th is just the guys that are in the, pro, in the NBA thing. It'll be interesting. Baseball this afternoon, uh, scheduled 1 o'clock start time, Illinois and Michigan. The Illini beat Michigan 10-3 to last night to improve to 12-7 and in the Big Ten. 
28 and 16 overall. And if you were trying to watch the Big Ten softball tournament, it was a frustrating afternoon Wasn't for it? you. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was trying. I was thinking because they, the, the Big Ten Network does some fine work, but they, I don't think they did a great job of scrolling across the bottom what was really going on. Well, uh, that's right. And, and I taped every show after the, the Wisconsin. <laughs> Michigan game, you so, know, I thought because Illinois was the next up, but I didn't tape enough. So you <laughs> they saw were six hours. You had plenty of tape of a rain day, <laughs> rain delay programming. That's right. I haven't <laughs> killed that out yet. <laughs> and Illinois lost a tough one when they finally did play last night, losing on a walk-off home run to Indiana by a score of two to one. The Illini, thirty-eight and seventeen, still trying to make it into the NCAA, and they'll know that before too long. It is a nine fifty-eight. On Saturday, Sports Talk, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We'll take a time out here at the top of the hour and talk some basketball recruiting with Joe Hendrickson when we come back. Stay with us. It's about a minute after 10 o'clock. Saturday, Sports Talk, moving into hour number two on WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you. On this Saturday morning, graduation weekend of the U of I, Mother's Day weekend as well. Happy to welcome to the, bro- the broadcast now, Joe Hendrickson from the City Suburban Hoops Report. Going to talk some high school basketball recruiting. Good morning, Joe. How are you, sir? Uh, good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. I want to start off with uh, getting your thoughts on uh, all the offers that are outstanding <laughs> from the uh, Illinois basketball coaching staff, Brad Underwood and uh, staff, and kind of get your thoughts on the job you think they're doing at this point? Well, yeah, they've, I mean, it's been a, we, we all know it was a major rebuilding um, job that they came into. It was just, it was a matter of fact. And, you know, I, I, I think they had a somewhat different approach than John Gross and his staff um, when they came in. But the programs were at different stages as well, a little bit. And, I, I think they cast a wider net. Uh, I'm not saying they lowered the bar, but I think they have done a better job of particularly targeting maybe guys that they want and not, aren't worried about um, being where they're ranked or how many stars and all of that. Um, you know, some of that is just by default when you don't get some of the guys or you're not going down the right road uh, with the guy you think you're going to possibly be in, in the mix for that's higher rated or highly regarded. But, at the end of the day, I mean, just talking with the staff and talking to Coach Underwood a couple of weeks ago, I mean, they're they're excited about the guys they have coming in. Where I think, from the outside looking in, I think there's this pause. Yes, we think we have something going in the right direction. We think we have some nice pieces, and but I, I think what it shows is this is not a quick fix. It's not going to be a a snap of the finger and tournament type team right away because you know there there's not McDonald's all Americans you know win this class and top fifteen guys and you know these type of players that can come in and instantly turn a program around it's going to be a collection that is going to build and be nurtured and developed and grow and you're probably not going to see the you know the fruits of that labor until you know some of those kids reach their at least their sophomore junior year. Joe, this is Lauren. Did did you know much about Jones and or Griffin? They do have brief Illinois, Chicago, Illinois backgrounds. Did you know anything about those two before Illinois got after them? 
Yeah, I mean, I Gr- Griffin kid, I loved early on as a freshman. I thought he was he was dynamite. He was at Oak Park, played it. You know, I watched him as a, as a freshman and, and summer before even his freshman year. And you know, he was the description uh, fits kind of what he's been his whole career: a, a shot maker with some length, uh, some scoring, natural acumen. And once you, you you see these kids a little bit on on the AAU circuit, the club circuit. And obviously, I'm, you know, my recruiting service is, is strictly Illinois as far as what college coaches subscribe to and, and expect from me. But yeah, you're watching, and you're, and then the other thing is when, just on my own curiosity, as well as just putting some eyes on players, you do talk to other coaches that are recruiting them or that see those players more on those coasts uh, than obviously I do. So it, it's been intriguing and in listening to the different opinions on, you know, some of the players Illinois is getting. And, and what I find interesting when I do listen, hear that is it, it's such a, it's been such a wide variety of responses from college coaches really? on a lot of their recruits. Yeah. I, uh, do, you, uh, do you get a wide variety on DeSumo? Uh No. I mean, I, I think that one's pretty, I mean, I mean the thing with Lauren, the thing with IO is this. He, He's a high major player. He is a, a terrific recruit for them. But just listening to some of the verbiage of, or you know the talk of of who he is and what he is, I, I'm not sure that it's completely accurate. Of, of and that's kind of what I was talking about this this program changing type of guy. And uh, he's going to help the program change in time with the collection of other players. But this isn't a player who's going to come in and, and instantly put a program on his back. And, and you know, I think sometimes when player or, or fans see a ranking or, you know, five stars or whatever it might be, those expectations are a little bit – it all depends on the type of player. But I don't see that with Iowa. I think he's going to be a very, very good college player, and, and he's a legitimate high major. Uh, but it's going to take some time. Talking to Joe Henriksen, City Suburban Hoops Report. You mentioned uh, Brad Underwood kind of casting a wide net around the, the country, but let's go back to the state of Illinois where you're most familiar. Does he need to do a better job in the state of Illinois? Does he need to to get more guys from Illinois? or how? I suppose a lot of that is cyclical on the, the number of talented players, but your thoughts about Illinois players and the University of Illinois? Well, the Illinois players are bad. Um, it's just plain and simple. It's they, they are. It is a from twenty the class of two thousand sixteen through the class of two thousand twenty. So you know that's a five year stretch where four of the five years are as bad as I've seen in the twenty two twenty three years I've done this. Uh, so yeah, I mean. We, we've seen a bad class here, a bad class there, maybe even two kind of average classes back-to-back. We've never, ever seen what we're seeing. And there's there's different reasons for that, uh, partly due to some of the players that have left. You know, prime example is Khalil Whitney, who was the number one player that I had in the entire class in 2019 when he entered high school, played his freshman year at Solario in Chicago, transferred and went out east, Illinois is in the mix for him. He'd still be the number one player after watching him. He's still playing the Mac Irvin Fire on the club circuit, and he would still be the number one player in Illinois today if he were still here. So, you know, that's a that's a big shot uh, to a class and to a state when you lose a talent like that. But 
you know, it's just a bad, bad run of high school talent in this state. And whereas you're used to maybe targeting six, seven, eight guys in a class, and, you know, if you miss on three of them or you don't think you have a good in with two or three of them, you still got two or three left. And in this, in this situation, with all these classes, you're only targeting one, two, or three. And when, when that's the case, all those other things pop into place where, oh, we don't have a good feel for this one. You know, well, there's no one else left. Uh, <laughs> this one's getting away from us. Well, who do we go to now? And, and that's the problem you run into with, with the lack of depth. You know, there's always going to be some high majors in Illinois, but you want a little bit more, a plethora of them so you can kind of pick and choose your battles and where you want to go. With that being said, with as down as Illinois basketball has been, you know, it doesn't really matter where you get the players as long as you get them. And as down as Illinois basketball has been, it's, I don't want to say it's a plus and you don't ever want to be down. But it is a time where, well, what if there were a bunch of players here and nobody wanted to go to Illinois because they're so down? So it's a chance to kind of build it back up. And at some point, some coaching staff at Illinois is going to have to overachieve and, and get more bang for the buck out of a roster that's not as good as, you know, what they show during a season. And they still have success. And Underwood and the staff, you know, obviously weren't able to do that last year for you know multiple reasons but you know going forward can they kind of overachieve can they do some things just to kind of get the the arrow pointing back up and that way you can generate a little bit more interest in that flagship university and basketball program that's in your backyard where right now uh, you know where you where the Illinois basketball is at right now you don't want to be in the state of Illinois and that's that's just uh, out of out of sight, out of mind, and that's that's Joe, the biggest. Concern. Joe, it's 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 a chicken egg thing. You, you're not very good, so you can't get players, and you can't get players because you're not very good. <laughs> a, yeah, that, no, it's true. And so, the, but this goes back to our our first discussion. Our first, you know, first question is, I mean, I, I don't know any <laughs> any coaching staff in the country that's going to come out and say, "Boy, we." class we got this year is just not very good. Uh, you know, I, I don't like the guys we got. We're going to have to try to persevere and get through that. I'm not, you know, no one's going to say that. But what we, a lot of people don't, and I don't know, is I haven't seen these, a lot of the players in these class play much. So, you know, it, it's, um, and a lot of people haven't, you know, in this area. You're, you're usually in tune a little bit more with the class. But those two big, those two late bigs. I mean, a lot of people don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, they before, weren't before you recorded. get off the bigs. Uh, where are, where's Illinois with Oturo? Francis Oturo. Oh, Francis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Francis Oturo. I mean, I, I just have a. I mean, no one has recruited him. Seems to know the people close to him don't seem to know uh, exactly what is next for him as far as what what where, where he's going to choose. I just get the feeling, though, that he knows, that he does know what he's going to do by not necessarily letting people on to it. Because, I mean, he was first waiting to get the test score. And then he was waiting now to, you know, kind of see the classes and the credits and just well, to make where, sure. Where are re- they with those re- credits? Is he, is he actually fully uh, reclassified? No, he has not fully reclassified. This is what I'm saying. You know, he got the test score, which was terrific, and now they're, they're, they're finishing up classes and credits and kind of seeing where that's at. From all, I mean, for all practice, I mean, all intents purposes, he will reclassify. 
and, and be a 2018 recruit. It just hasn't been official. It hasn't been publicly acknowledged. Uh, he still considers himself a 2019 recruit, but uh, I would be stunned and shocked if he's not a 2018 recruit. But that still has to play out a little bit. Uh, you know, he'll he'll make a decision here in the next week or two, and um, you know it'll be that. But Purdue, Illinois, and, and Oregon. Well, does he need um, summer classes? Do you think, or or is he already? Can he uh, I checked around on that this week, and and and. Some of that was still, again, just kind of up in the air, and I, I didn't get a clear answer. Okay. How good is he, in your view? Uh, you know, it's interesting, Lauren. I did a story eh, two weeks ago uh, where I polled and surveyed college coaches. Uh, 26, I think I did. You know, off the record, you know, I can't attach anything to that, but and ranking all the prospects in the, in, in the state of Illinois, regardless of class and where they rank them, and, uh, I think the one surprising thing to me somewhat just because of, you know, the position he is and the size he is, is where Francis ended up uh, in that poll and in the, in the votes. He didn't, he didn't receive any first place votes, no second place votes. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I can't remember if he even received a third place vote. Um, so that was a little bit surprising to me. I, you know, he, he, he's a blank canvas in that you got a lot to work with because he hasn't played and been coached a whole lot of years. So that part's good. But he's also pretty physically developed. He's uh, mature for his age, and, and um, you know, he's just a big-bodied kid. And offensively is my concern. I mean, I just uh, – he's got a long ways to go. And, uh, again, I mean – the the way big men come along in college basketball, you guys have seen it. Illinois, Myers Leonard. I mean, Myers Leonard was further along than than Francis Okoro, and in my mind, and uh, now physically he wasn't as physically ready as Francis Okoro is. So there's kind of a, a definitely a, a difference there. But you know, we've just seen so many big men that. Uh, don't really flourish as freshmen. Uh, Jeremiah Tillman is, was more advanced than Francis Okoro. So, you know, and it's not like Tillman dominated the freshman. He played some valuable minutes for Missouri, but it's going to, again, take time for Francis Okoro. And what you fear with big men all the time is, and you saw it with Myers Leonard, you, he was non existent as a freshman, so showed some flashes as a sophomore. And by the time you're really going to get, you know, your value out of him when he's a junior, he's already gone. Yeah. And uh, that happens a lot with big men in college just because there's such a lack of them and there's such a need for them in, in at the next level. So, you know, it's going – I mean, he, he's going to come in and take up space, be physical, run the floor, and, and uh, he's a good rebounder and defender. And it's just, again – these players are, are are down the road guys for me as far as when you're looking at college programs that are playing in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, those types of programs. Joe, uh, do you, there are a lot of talk about changes in the AAU system of summer basketball. What are your thoughts on that? Where are they going? Well, I think there's a. I mean, th- th- there's all different types of of scenarios being played out and I, I my personal opinion I, I still haven't seen one that really and I'm not saying I have the answers but just one that oh yeah there's where the road we should go and and that's what they should do what but the evaluate my biggest 
concern is just the amount of or the lack of evaluation opportunities. I mean, as an example, so college coaches just watched two weekends in April, and they got to get a lot done in those two weekends. And the weekends are pretty – I mean, it's Friday night. It's not like these summer weekends in July where they start playing Wednesday night and go through Sunday. In April, they start on a Friday night at about, I don't know, 5 o'clock, and they're done by late Friday or late Sunday afternoon. So that's a small window where you got your four coaches out, you know, crisscrossing wherever they need to be in two weekends to see all your guys that you need to see. And not to mention the guys you're already deep in on and you already know you want, you still got to go babysit and watch them. And you're taking away your time to evaluate other players. So then now you don't get to see them in live action from April all the way to July. And I, I see it happen because I, I watch it in May. I watch it in June. I watch, and, and I see these progression or these changes and, and these, and you know, that's part of the reason, you know, why I have a recruiting service and coaches will call and check on that stuff because they can't get eyes on them again until, you know, middle of July. And to me, I, mean, I don't, that's been the case for years and years and years, but you've also seen a less attacking recruiting wise and evaluating during the season. I mean, I, that has been one of the biggest changes in my eyes of, of going out and seeing games in the winter the lack of coaches that are out in the winter. and You mean in high school basketball? Yeah, high school games. And, and I've asked co- college coaches about that, and the, and the big part of that is they, they have told me they have so much work to do now on campus with this, this kid has a problem, or we got to make sure this kid gets to class, or this issue off the court, or <laughs> they're dealing with that so much. And that, games every day of the week too. They're play, you never know. Yeah, yeah, and the and the time, the travel, the, the late games, and TV schedules, and and yeah, there's not a set day you're playing on, uh, and and just the need that first priority to win games, and so, but that's taken away, and I, and I value a lot of of my evaluations on how they play with high school basketball team. I I just do. I. I know you're old fashioned then. <laughs> you no, know, I know. And, and I, the AAU world's more important, uh, but it doesn't mean that there's, there's any, any value in high school when I get to see a, an average team play some help defense instead of straight line drives against the AAU team with zero help defense. It's pretty easy to get to the get to the rim, but you know, just different things like that, or some kids aren't playing in their natural position, or it's just a wide variety of things that you evaluate that you might not see. Um, you know, uh, you know, a prime example. I mean, Kendall Moore, a kid down the road, Danville, was terrible last July with his AAU team, and you know he was just sensational with his high school team. And mm-hmm. I ended up at Colorado State, but you know, that's just one example. And um, I don't know how you fix that because of the calendar right now, the recruiting calendar. Your thoughts on EJ Liddell and how he might uh, stand with uh, Illinois, and he's a uh, the Mr. Basketball in the state of Illinois and a pretty good candidate perhaps to, to repeat him that honor. Yeah. I'm, I just been the biggest EJ Liddell fan. I, I, for years now, I mean, I, he was underrated and over undervalued for a long time. Uh, by everybody, college coaches, national evaluators. I mean, it, it took a while, uh, for a kid with that much productivity and, and the ability that he had and the body that he had, the upside that he had to kind of, get all that going in his direction. And I just, 
I think it was interesting that he came out with the, the statement uh, last week, a little over a week ago, of of the false rumors that he was already committed silently to you know a, a school. He didn't name Missouri, but everybody knew it was Missouri that he was referring to. Uh, you know, and I just think my opinion is the schools. While he was kind of under wraps by you know nationally and. Uh, by evaluators and not this high-profile kid early on, it allowed schools like Illinois, Missouri, and Kansas State to really, you know, sink their teeth into that recruitment and establish themselves and build relationship and put them at the forefront of his recruitment. But as all of that grew, uh, his, his stature grew. You know, other schools obviously became more involved. So I, I think it brought that group of schools back to the pack a little bit and others have risen up. So I do think he's pretty open, and I don't think he's in any rush. I think he's going. He's fine with – he's a calm, cool, collected kid who has a great foundation and a base around him and people around him. So he's not – I don't think this recruitment's going to get to him uh, like it would some kids, and I think that's why it's going to play out because he can handle it. Talking to Joe Henriksen, City Suburban Hoops report for another minute or two. Loyola, the Ramblers, a great story in college basketball. Talk a little bit about uh, their recruiting, Porter Mosier, and what uh, what he's like on the recruiting trail and how they might benefit from that run deep into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's two things about that. One, it's funny now how Loyola offers a kid how some other schools are like, oh, shoot, Loyola offered him. We won't get him. <laughs> you know, just because of this. <laughs> That's new. You know, at the mid-major level, uh, it, it's, it, and, you know, I, I've had that come up numerous times, and uh, and it's prevented a, a couple of kids from getting more offers even because they're like, well, he's not going to pick us over Loyola. And, and I've heard that a couple of times. So the second thing is, is I had a long talk. As, uh, we were with Porter Mosier, you know, probably a, two weeks ago, and, and uh, we we're just discussing this and and trying to stay away from actually getting out of your comfort zone and recruiting, well, now we can get a better kid or a higher-level player, but maybe that better player or better prospect isn't exactly what you have built your program around or the type of kid or the type of, of player. You've got to be careful that you're still getting the kids that, that you value, that you can win with, that you built your program on, as opposed to kind of getting out of that thinking and thinking, all right, now I can go get a little higher rated kid. But maybe, you know, chemistry-wise or wise or something, it's not, but it sure would look good, you know, on uh, uh, the, the recruiting board. So that's a that's a fine line that they'll, they'll handle, but he's got a great staff in place. They've got They've got so much going for him. Obviously, the, the final four run, but Porter Mosier is one of the most aggressive head coaches in the business. Uh, I made a, I had a story about him a little while ago. All the years I've been doing this, you guys, there are two head coaches who I have seen out in Illinois during the season and out working more than anybody else, and that's Porter Mosier and back when Bruce Weber was here. Uh, those two coaches – are out were out more than any other in-state coaches or in Midwest coaches recruiting Illinois in gyms than anybody else I've ever seen. And, you know, Porter is fantastic with families. He's fantastic in the, the living room with families or in the coach's office, sealing a deal on visits. Uh, he's just, he's just an ultra recruiter. And 
not to mention they got this beautiful practice facility that's breaking ground that's going to be on campus that broke ground this spring and uh, so they got a lot of positive things going the right direction and i think you know the investment in the program is happening now where that was i mean they've done a 180 compared to when porter Moser took over that program as far as like buying games for the program uh uh, travel charters and th- just a lot of different things uh, that go into helping a program succeed at a higher level. Lyola now has kind of uh, adapted and, and done that. You know, he's he's the same guy who got fired by Illinois State. He wasn't good enough for Illinois State. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's cutthroat as we know, and uh, it works that way. Yeah, yep. it's a fit. It's all about a fit. Hey, uh, Joe, we got to let you go. Uh, Thank you very much for being on with us. We we always enjoy it, and I'll be calling you very soon again. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Joe Hendrickson from the City Suburban Hoops Report with us here on uh, Saturday Sports Talk at uh, 1025. You know, if you've been uh, considering replacing the doors in your home in recent days or weeks, you're, you're already aware of the fact that the most important doors are the entry door and the patio door, and a trip to the Pella Window Store at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign will help clear up what really can be an overwhelming situation. Mike Mary and the Illini Pella team have been fixtures in the community for more than 40 years now. As you may know, if you've started to investigate this, there are many choices in windows and doors, and the Pella Window Store has eight patio doors alone on display in their showroom. They'll not only help you decide what's best for you, They'll stand behind them with a limited lifetime warranty as well. Illini Pella offers one-stop shopping for windows and doors. You get the products, the installation, and you can talk about financing options as well. Window and door shopping is not something you do every day, so you want to make sure you get it right. Do your research, set your budget, work with the pros at the Pella Window Store, then show off your new windows and doors to your family and friends. The Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign, open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and Saturday, 9 to 12. They also have stores in Danville, Decatur, and Bloomington. Check them out online at PellaOfChampaign.com. That's the Pella Window Store in Champaign. Back with more Saturday Sports Talk after this. 1031 on WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, Saturday Sports Talk. Rolling along till 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 356-9397. You can text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. That number is 351-5357 if you'd like to participate in the conversation. And the conversation turning from basketball recruiting to Illinois and Big Ten football for the next uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Martin O'Donnell is with us in our downtown studios former Illini All-American and member of our broadcast team on the Illini Sports Network. How you doing, Big O? I'm great. How you doing, Steve? Doing fine. Glad to have you with us. And uh, this is kind of the time when we start uh, tickling the football file a little bit and uh, start thinking about it again. But I know you're always ready. I'm always ready. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for football season this year. Uh, you know, starting to get back into it a little bit. The weather's finally turned. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's been fun. I think it's been it's been fun here lately as well. You know, seem to have some really good things going on the recruiting trail, and everybody knows that's that's certainly a big part of the equation in terms of getting the Illinois program back to where, you know, Illinois fans want to see it. So um, it's been fun. You know, looking, looking forward to the summer, uh, certainly looking forward to, to fall camp and, you know, getting out there and trying to watch as much as I can. How much of spring did you get a chance to see? Not a whole lot. I, I only got to see uh, – 
probably a couple practices and then the uh, uh, the spring open practice, uh, spring game, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, wasn't able to see all that much. And, it, and it's tough, you know, kind of the roster being where it is, all those transfers, um, especially at the quarterback position. So that there wasn't a ton to pick up there. And, you know, what I was just trying to do was spend a lot of time with the linemen when I was out there, um, watch some one-on-ones, kind of just see how guys look to have changed uh, their bodies a little bit kind of year over year. So wasn't able to get a ton. That's why I'm really looking forward to the fall just because I think you can really start to derive some information from that. You uh, get to talk to Lovey more than the rest of us. Do you get a feeling that he thinks that he's on the move? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think they – I think, again, when he's hired off cycle, that really kind of throws things off. And so, you know, I think really what we've seen now is with the 2019 recruiting class, the guys that are recruiting right now, that they're really back on a level playing field in terms of having invested time in some of these recruits. So I think the, the recruiting is certainly one part of it, and obviously that was an adjustment coming from the professional game. But, you know, when he's you know when he's at the NFL, you're recruiting free agents and whatnot. But obviously it's different in terms of the NCAA and rules. So I think he's certainly settling in. I think, um, you know, making some of the staff changes in the offseason, I think he feels good about about where they are from a staff perspective. And, um, you know, I think they're, they're really getting their feet under them right now, and the next step is to really take that over to the field uh, and have it result in more wins. What is, explain for us, what is Liddyville? It seems to be something yeah. that has everybody fired up over there. Thad Ward's got everybody talking Liddyville. What is sure. it? Sure, yeah, Thad, the mayor of Liddyville. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 I'll, I'll try to explain it and at the risk of sounding just aggressively Caucasian. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think... You know, it's I, L- Liddyville. Like, it's a state of mind, Lauren. Okay. You know, so and I, I, I the way that. the okay. way I define it is, at least the way I think about it is, I think what you're, what you're trying to do in this day and age, from a publicity perspective, from a social media perspective, is everybody has these short attention spans, and so I think really what uh, it's kind of a marketing genius in a way. What you're trying to do is encapsulate what the University of Illinois and being a football player at the University of Illinois kind of can mean. And so you're trying to find a way to make it sound appealing to the younger generation because no offense, but, you know, the three of us are not at all the target demographic for this. But I think what you're trying to – Whoa, whoa, whoa. You say I'm not a part of the – you mean it's passed me by? Yeah, among among many other things. (laughs) Among many other things. Uh, But the way I think about it is really what you're trying to do is encapsulate everything that the University of Illinois writ large – has to offer and you're just trying to throw it into a tagline and Liddyville I mean you know Thad basically trying to say you know hey here in Champaign it's lit you know it's a it's a world-class university it's a world-class party school according to various publications and then you also have a great football program that you're really trying to rebuild and a program that's had highs um, that can match a lot of programs out there in the country so I think that's really what you're trying to do and obviously it's resonated quite a bit Um, I think it's great you know, and I think what it is is again, it gives Illinois something to differentiate from other programs, and I just think it's a state of mind, and you're just trying to encapsulate what the University of Illinois is in a word, and it, it's Liddyville, Lauren. I expect okay, you to have a shirt Steve, soon. Now you come up with a better answer. Okay, not do it. I, I was going to say that's the best <laughs> best way I've heard that explained, and I, I get it now. I'm on board. Good. Finally, they don't, uh, they don't care that I'm. But, yeah, no, they don't care. <laughs> You're too old. That's so, right. Pot if I'm too the old, kettle, what are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, Martin O'Donnell. You spent some time watching the offensive line, as you uh, will do as long as you live. I know. Uh, sure. Watching a little closer, but Guilty. your thought, your thoughts on the way that uh, unit is going to shape up for the fall. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly. I expect to see a big improvement. You know, playing four freshmen last year. 
at times, you know, multiple true freshmen along the lines. Um, I'm, it's it's exciting to see those guys who were really kind of thrown into the fire last year as true freshmen. You know, Alex Palczewski, Larry Boyd, uh, Vidarian Lowe, just kind of thrown out there. You know, Doug Kramer is a redshirt freshman but hadn't seen game experience before. But seeing those guys kind of thrown out there and trying to work through things, uh, but you give them an offseason and a collegiate weight program, which is huge because who knows what they were doing in their high schools. That is a big you know, there's large variance there, and they, some of them came down for the summer, so you're able to get them for a summer, but then they had to go into fall camp. So to be able to see them kind of change their bodies a little bit, and I think the biggest thing is, again, they understand the expectation as to what it takes to compete in the Big Ten and to start in the Big Ten, and there's no greater motivator than failure. And so all those guys had multiple instances of failure last year, as all young players do, and so they can take that and learn from it, and so much of offensive line play becomes muscle memory that they're going through these drills for the 500th time now versus the fifth time and all those aspects just add up and I expect to see them take you know a big step and you got a guy like Nick Allegretti who's there who's the leader who's kind of the uh you know ringing the cowbell for him and getting them going so I expect to see a big step they're not flopping the uh, flip-flopping the uh the line either yes. they're gonna left tackle is gonna be the left tackle yeah you and like I, that I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, people have their philosophies, and we've seen the line flipping work here at Illinois under Paul Petrino. Mm-hmm. You know, we had some good offenses, and you're able to run the ball. But I, I just think, especially when you're dealing with young football players, if you can say, hey, Larry Boyd, you're going to be, you know, rotating here at left tackle. You know, Alex Palczewski, you're going to be playing, you know, left guard and telling these guys, hey, this is. And again, it becomes muscle memory where yeah. you're saying, okay, I know how to set on a guy who's on my outside shoulder because if he's a three technique and I'm a right guard, he's always going to be on my right hand shoulder. Now, if you're flipping sides, you can say, well, now I got to set in that three technique and I got to be comfortable, you know, setting if he's on my left shoulder, if I'm playing on the left side. So I just think the muscle memory aspect of it, the repetition aspect of it, it helps to be versatile. And I hope these guys keep their versatility because that's going to serve them in the future if they can play multiple positions. But being able to take, you know, 100 reps at right tackle in a given practice versus 50 at right and 50 at left, you're going to get better at that right tackle perspective, just doing it over and over and over again. Got any football questions? Martin O'Donnell is with us. 356-9397 is the phone number to join us on Saturday Sports Talk. Are we to the point that the offensive line is one of the team's strengths? It's a good question. I think it's I think it's getting there, and obviously we're not going to have any idea on that until until we see uh, until you get about a quarter of the way through the season. You know, you get through the non conference schedule. Uh, well, actually, probably a third of the way. You get through the non conference schedule and you get through that first game against Penn State. I think we'll be able to kind of evaluate and say, hey, where is this team? Where are the strengths? Um, and obviously, the coaches are going to be doing that on a much more micro basis as they go through camp and whatnot. But I think as we sit there objectively, I, I think it has. It, they certainly have the ability to be a strength of the team. And I think certainly going forward, they're only going to continue to get better. And then by the time some of these guys who are you know going into their sophomore years are juniors and seniors, I would expect them to be one of the best lines in Big Ten purely because of all the experience and the physical tools that they have and their coach and, and Luke Butkus. Be nice to hear that again. It's been a while since we heard one of the best fans yeah. in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's, it's been a little bit. So I don't know if they're going to be there yet this fall. There's still going to be growing pains. I think they're going to be significantly better. Um, but, you know, we'll have to kind of wait and see. Football players bring a lot of money into the university, into the athletic department. Mm-hmm. Should pay players be paid? Yeah, somehow. Okay, Absolutely. how? Well, that, that's a great question. I, I think the way I look at it is the thing that's always made the most sense to me, there's there's a couple aspects of it. One, uh, I think the fact that sometimes you have, and it's, it's better now, but I know when I played, you know, there were guys that I played with and were playing for a football program in the Big Ten, and there were guys that I played with who, 
you know, didn't have additional financial support from home. And so when their scholarship check money ran out, they had to figure out a way to eat for the last you know, week or two stipends. of the month. They have stipends. Well, now. I know. That's what I'm saying. They have stipends now. So that, that, that's mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. But I, the way I look at it, too, the NCAA is such a large money-making operation. The fact that the guys that are out there uh, you know, really risking their long-term health in order to make it happen, and they're, and they're willing to do it. Uh, I would like to see their way for them to get paid. Whether you defer that payment until after they get a degree or something like that, I think that's completely reasonable. What but the can fact you do that, that you wouldn't do for the women? No, well, I mean that—that's the other thing you have to take into account. I don't know. This was—it's it, a sticky. It's a, says everybody must be treated equally. Oh, I agree. I so, agree. So, so we have uh, you know five hundred student athletes over there, and how do you no. how do you take care of one group and not take care of everybody equally? Well, I think to a certain extent, right now, the revenue generating sports already subsidize some of the other sports that they are do. there, Absolutely. the Olympic sports, from that perspective. Yeah. But I, I think the way to there's a couple of aspects to it. I think first and foremost, the fact that the coaches for teams are treated completely different than the players, not only from a pay standpoint, but from a uh, flexibility standpoint in terms of where they can go without having any repercussions in terms of transfers. Okay, a coach can come here and he can be here for a year. He can make a million dollars and he can immediately turn around and go to a different school. And if a player who really cared about that coach and wanted to play for that coach wanted to do the same, he'd have to sit out for a year. I don't like that. But – I don't know exactly what but the answer is. I don't. I don't have be the best. Wild answer. West. If if you let everybody just transfer and says play. who? What's wrong with the free market? Well, I don't know. I think it would. <laughs> it's different than what we've been. It doesn't make it wrong. I, 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 the, the I, way I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I'm just saying it, that the coaches are going to be up in arms if they think that they're going. The problem. The problem you can is have old teams just leave. No. Nah, well, here here's the thing, Lauren. The the problem is from a recruiting standpoint. What some coaches would tell you is you need to be committing to the university, and that's really what I believe, is you need to commit to the university and not to a coach. That's not how recruiting takes place a lot that's of ways right. now. Coaches recruit based upon what they've done and who they are, and they should. You know, I think Illinois is in a really good position right now to capitalize on some of the you know, tumultuousness of the coaching carousel because I don't think Lovey Smith's going anywhere for mm-hmm. a while. I don't. I, I think Lovey's here for a long time. I think that stability is going to be able to be really helpful. But to go back to the player compensation piece, I think there are a lot of – people that are much smarter than me that have some really good proposals out there. And I think the NCAA... Some form of the Olympics system? Yeah, or endorsements. What's wrong, what's wrong with having a college player and you know collect endorsements? They do it for swimmers and Olympians right now. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can have Olympians that compete at Stanford and swimming, but the, the they're da- able to make money. The danger of, of falling... You know, uh, the danger of, of businesses then becoming involved with student-athletes uh, is... Well, student-athletes are already involved in a really big business. I'm college just, football and college basketball are really big businesses. I understand. They just don't but get paid. I'm just saying, if, if your bank decides you want to bring in a player f- for yeah. uh, to sign autographs, let's just use an sure. example, and then there there would be some situations where it, get, it could get out of hand in terms of the amount of money that would be paid to players because I don't have any problem with the free market in general. Okay. I mean, if a player can, you know, if a player can, you know, has has played well enough to go and you know, be able to make money based off of their likeness for themselves and for their families, I don't have an issue with it. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, things like uh, having their, their jerseys sold and things like that with their the Martin O'Donnell number 64 jersey. Yeah. Make you extra money. And and it wouldn't come from the university at all. I mean, all that income would be coming uh, uh, free from the uh, uh, The university yeah. wouldn't be losing anything. Yeah. No, I, I would say – there has to be a way to give 
players, particularly in the two revenue sports, I understand the Title IX issues, a piece of the pie, because it's a really, really big pie right now in terms of yeah, collegiate basketball and, hand, and football. Really. It will, yeah. But the way I would look at it, too, is to me, the things that I have more of an issue with are the the lack of mobility for players right now where coaches have no such restriction. It's, and it's purely because that's the way the market's been set up. No coach would ever sign a contract with a non-compete clause or anything like that. That's just not going to happen because the coaches have all the influence and the power in collegiate athletics. That's just the way it is. The other issue I have is players having some form of long-term health care from the NCAA because you know if I have to have a surgery right now based upon injuries that I incurred playing at the University of Illinois, that's on me and my current employer in order to pay for that surgery. How many years do you go on that? That's the question. You know, that's how a lot many of money years later? I mean, you, you can say ten years later, I've got a knee problem that co- was caused by football. I mean, is yeah, the university still have to pay for that ten years later. Yeah. Okay. Or the NCAA. It's a lot of money out there. <laughs> that one sounds a little, a little tough to get to. I don't know that uh, you'll see that. Not that many years. But. Well, I, I think there should be some solution there. Good stuff. We'll keep this conversation going. If you'd like to join us, 356-9397 is the phone number on Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break at 1046 and be back with more after this. Saturday Sports Talk rolls on, heading towards the top of the hour. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Martin O'Donnell is with us. Still time to jump in if you want to talk some Illinois football, 356-9397. We talked about the offensive line. We talked about some other things. And uh, Lovey Smith going into a year number three with only one quarterback on the, the roster that's taken a snap in the Big Ten, Cam yeah. Thomas. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's the, uh, the leading guy so far. Your thoughts on how that position might evolve that's a that's a crapshoot isn't it yeah I mean that's the thing I'm most excited to see in in fall camp is just you know how the guys are performing I remember when first saw Cam Thomas last year I mean he stood out a lot to me because I didn't necessarily have any expectations of him you know Chase Crouch was coming in and expected Cam to to probably redshirt but you know he really surprised me just watching him you know the his ability to kind of spin the ball and you know obviously as, as how big he was and things like that so um I would certainly anticipate he's in the pole position he had all the spring uh you know to really kind of try to digest this offense but uh I'm very interested to see the three true freshmen coming in and then the transfer uh coming in as well um I think it's going to be a good competition my my thought certainly is one of those guys is the guy you know and I really think so and you're gonna you know other than the if it's the fifth-year guy, then that's a great bridge from this year. Uh, and if that if he's the case, then you're able to maybe redshirt one or two of those freshmen. But um, I think what you know, Lovey Smith and his staff did was obviously they saw the issue at the quarterback position. You have transfers. You have Chase Crouch um, stepping back from football, but you know went out and they addressed the problem with recruiting. You know, three guys coming in, you get a fifth-year guy, and I think they're going to have a really good, robust, healthy competition. And Rod Smith has certainly showed the ability to develop quarterbacks in this system. Um, so I'm anxious to kind of see how all that fits together. Isn't it fair to say basically that uh, we just don't know about this Illinois football team because the quarterback position is so iffy? If that if that position could be resolved with a positively, it looks to me like the rest of the team, for the most part, I'm not sure about linebacker, but I think mm-hmm. for the most part, the rest of that team falls together pretty well. Yeah, no, I agree. I, th- I think the biggest thing is, you know, 
there's two aspects that I think they're really looking for in a quarterback. One, it's take care of the football. Illinois had way too many turnovers last year uh, from the quarterback position, be it interceptions or fumbles. And, and the other aspect is just being able to create dynamic plays. Illinois was not at all a dynamic offense last year. And I think if you have a quarterback there that can run this offense well and can take care of the football, right? I think there are. I like all the options at running back. Like I said, I think the offensive line is going to get better. You're going to have Mike Dudek back healthy. Ricky Smalling proved to be a really nice weapon on the outside. I mean, there's there's some good pieces here and defensively I think we're starting to see these guys kind of fit into the scheme and going out there and making some plays um quarterback is without question the biggest issue right now the biggest question mark I think in the best case scenario is somebody comes in starts performing really well at the beginning of camp and just takes a hold of the job and you're off and running through you know the second half of camp knowing who you're going to have start week one um hopefully that's the case Phone line is open. We do have a call from Effingham. Martin O'Donnell is our guest. Steve, go ahead. How are you doing, Steve? Pretty good. I, since Martin O'Donnell was on the team, I believe, when Ron Zook came, yeah. um, that 2005 and 2006 year, they had them, you know, brought in a lot of young players. And then in 2007, they had the great year. And I was kind of wondering how you would compare that with what Lovey has now. He has a young team, but the difference I see is Ron Zook didn't have a lot of transfers where this team lost a ton of transfers this last year and a number since he came. So how does he overcome that and win and then then keep his recruiting base strong? Because it seems really hard to do with all these transfers and the team being so young. Yeah, you know, I, I think they're – there could be some some similarities here. You know what I would say is uh, I would probably put you know Lovey's first two seasons here uh, again, kind of the off due to the off cycle hire. You know maybe a little bit comparison to to two thousand and five there where uh, we weren't really all that competitive, and then in two thousand and six it didn't really bear out in the record. But I think a lot of people certainly saw there's improvements on the field. The games were a lot closer. You're playing one possession games in the fourth quarter. Um, and then you were able to kind of break through there in, in 2007. So that's really what I'm anticipating. What I'm anticipating seeing this fall is this team playing one possession games at the end of the fourth quarter. I don't ultimately know what that looks like from a record perspective, but that's what I want to see is this team getting much better in the second half. I think it's going to be a challenge, certainly, because you've had some of these transfers and uh, particularly the fifth-year guys who either would be competing for a starting position uh, or would provide you some really good veteran depth. Um, so that aspect wasn't there. There was some transfers under Ron Zook. They, most of them happened uh, early on in his tenure, pretty much before the 2005 season. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think it's certainly a little bit of an additional hurdle for them, and I think the way that they overcome it is um, by trusting the evaluations of the guys that they are bringing in because guys like Bennett Williams were able to play early and make a big impact. So I think they have to trust that, and then ultimately uh, I think this staff is really going to depend upon their ability to develop players. So hopefully those guys we saw last fall have developed into significantly better football players over the offseason. Anything else, Steve? Yeah, I was just wondering how they uh, – with the youth – how do they overcome the problem at quarterback? Because there's so much inexperience there, and I know they got good quarterbacks coming in, but they'll they won't have any college experience for a year or two. So that seems to be another major problem. But uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for the call, Steve. Yeah, no, I, like you said, you know, quarterback's certainly a big issue, uh, something they have to address, and uh, hopefully one, like I said, hopefully one of these you know five guys there is is the guy. It's it's hard to overcome youth, uh, especially at that position, and. Uh, We'll have to see. 5.55 is the time. One final break. Some final words after this. Stay with us. 
got about three minutes left on this edition of uh, Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Martin O'Donnell is with us. I got one for him. Okay. okay. <laughs> players, star players, are pulling out of bowl games rather than take the risk of injury. Would mm-hmm. Martin O'Donnell have pulled out of a bowl game, the Rose Bowl, to protect himself in 2007? I can answer that for you, but I'll let him do that. No. I, I wouldn't have, but I don't, I don't well, fault those guys for doing it at all. More value. What if you were a million-dollar player? Well, they have, insur- into, they have insurance policies for some of that. Okay. Now, those are, when you try to collect on them, those can be issues. But the way I look at it from that perspective, I don't, I don't fault any of those guys for sitting out because a lot of them are playing injured throughout the entire year. But you know, the cautionary tale is Jalen Smith, the linebacker from Notre Dame. Now, he wound yeah. up being a second-round pick, but yeah. this was a consensus top-ten guy. Yeah, he would have been picked And he hasn't, he's yet to get back to that form so yeah. I don't have any issues with guys doing it um, I think there's also the the aspect of it now where essentially bowl games have always been they've always been exhibitions mm-hmm. other than you had the BCS championship game mm-hmm. but now there's a really clear delineation saying you have the college football playoffs these are the games that matter the other ones really don't matter at all mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have done it but that's just me I'm an offensive lineman I don't fault any of those guys for doing it though because ultimately they're trying to protect their future streams of income well your situation was a little different because by that time you had pretty much decided that was going to be your last football game right or not not really no No, not really but you know I don't think it would have made a big difference and uh but I don't know I'm just a big dumb offensive lineman (laughs) (laughs) what do I know your words (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Still am. <laughs> We've got it on tape now that he said that. Uh, real quickly, you, we mentioned uh, a little bit about uh, Rod Smith and the offense. you like what you see with his system? I do. I, I like what I see. I think we're going to see more short passes, just kind of some layups to some of the receivers. Get the ball to Mike Dudek a lot. Get the ball to Ricky Smalling. Get it to your playmakers in space. Make it easier on your quarterback and your offensive line. I think we're going to see more of that. That's the stuff I'm really interested to see more of come camp. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate your time. Martin, thanks. Always good to talk football with you. Thank you. Good to see you again, Steve. Yep, you too. We'll do that again. Mr. Tate, talk to you next week. All righty. Don't forget Illinois baseball this afternoon, weather permitting at Michigan. Big series, the Illini and the Wolverines gets underway, hopefully, about uh, 1 o'clock up in Ann Arbor, Illinois, winning 10-3 to last night in that uh, series against the Michigan Wolverines. The Cubs and the White Sox this afternoon. The Cardinals and the Padres coming up tonight. Tennis at 3 o'clock. Tennis at 3 o'clock NCAA. For Lauren Tate, Martin O'Donnell, and our other guests, I'm Steve Kelly. Thanks for listening on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Have a good weekend, everybody.